This is the Lattice Training Podcast, where we bring you the best in climbing performance and training from the world's elite athletes, thought leaders, and coaches. Hello to everyone who has tuned in on the podcast today. I am back with a series of solo podcasts again. Now, you will have found that we've done a number of these on the Lattice podcast over the last couple of years, where often what I'll do is I'll break down a topic and just go through each bit, kind of section by section, and pull out some of the learning points that you have on various different topics to do with training and performance. So if you enjoy this podcast, there are a whole number of others that I've recorded over time on all sorts of different things like top 10s stuff around projecting strategy, strength training, endurance training, etc, etc. So go and check those out on the podcast if you enjoy this episode. But today's one is going to be, I guess, a blend of my own personal experience, and you'll hear why in a second, but also what I have seen from training our athletes and clients over the years with their training programs, whether it's sport climbers, boulderers or trad climbers. And the topic here is all about training and performance as you approach or into your 40s and beyond. And I myself am 43 now, um, dare I say it, but I'm also a professional athlete. I've trained most of my adult life and um, to some degree my teenage years as well. And I've really been through a good long journey with all this stuff and I've seen my body and my strategy and the results change over the years. So what I wanted to do was make this podcast episode one that's all about what I've personally experienced. So you've got this kind of context of what Tom has been through, so I can kind of give you some specific examples, but also broadly speaking, what represents that I see with others who are in these same age categories as well. So I hope that this is useful for all of you. I'm going to top cover the topics across stuff like time management and how you focus your time, recovery from your training sessions, and also the length of those climbing sessions that you have. We're going to go through deload cycles, so that kind of rest period, which is beyond just a single day. Some stuff around stress and sleep, and then also the dreaded injury, which... I definitely have faced many times over the years and I think realistically most climbers out there will have to deal with at some point. Let's start off with time management and focus. So as you know I'm in my 40s now, I'm 43 and I most definitely have less free time than I did in my 20s and even my 30s to some extent. And I also have way more things that kind of require my attention, whether it's family, work, and just the accumulation of cool, interesting stuff that you you build up over life. And this is something which I see reflected on or across the whole climbing population as a whole. And My first point on this really is that I think we all need to firstly accept it and not do what I have done in the past, which is kind of hit my head against the wall and go, oh, I can't accept this. I don't want to understand that 
my time is more stretched and I have more things demanding my attention and I probably realistically have less focus. And so the accepting part is a key part of the equation because then you can kind of go on to do something about it. So I think this is really important for everyone out there, wherever you sit on the spectrum on this. And when we're talking about actually doing something about it, I feel like one of the most important parts of this equation is around the quality of your climbing time, or, or perhaps you could call it the quality of your training time. I think they're, they're interchangeable. And this typically, with myself and also with others, reduces as you get older and you end up being not as focused, you're distracted, you're maybe tired, you're not feeling that great, and you increasingly build up this base of climbing or training, which just doesn't have the same quality as it used to before. And this simply results in a either a stagnation in your performance or a slow degrade. And I think it's something that we really need to pay attention to. And for me, this comes down to my planning of quality climbing sessions. So nowadays, I am much more intentional about looking at my week and going, okay, Monday and Friday, those are the days where everything is looking pretty good. I've not got too much on. I can definitely get X amount of time. Let's say it's three hours, for example. And I know that time is going to be quality. I'm going to be rested. There's no other stuff going on. I'm not going to be, you know, multitasking all the way through it. And then I will put the right type of climbing or training into that time because I know it's quality. So I'm not just protecting quality time and being careful with that and trying to maintain it. I'm also trying to fill that with the stuff which is best for quality or is the best match. So what I mean by that is if you have some really low end, I don't know, perhaps rehab work, um, some basic strength and conditioning, which isn't particularly high intensity or some aero cap volume work to be doing, then that's probably not the best use of your time to put it in there. So think about this strategically. Plan ahead and go, when is my time quality? Put the high intensity quality work in there. That's super key. So for me, board climbing sessions, always hard for me. I'm not um, the strongest climber and I really need to focus on it all the time. That's where those will go. Really hard red pointing projecting days, again, into those really high quality sessions. The next thing is... You have to be quite careful about not letting the total volume or duration of time that you have across the week or the month slowly creep down too much over the years. I think this is another thing which to some degree is inevitable because we increasingly have other things going on and we can't focus wholly on climbing. But it's a good thing to be aware of that if there is nothing to be done about this slow creep in climbing volume. And an example of that might be that in your mid-30s, you may be climbing 10 hours a week, let's say. But by the time you've got to your mid-40s, you're actually only really climbing five hours a week. Even if those five hours you're putting in some quite good quality work and you're being a little bit more strategic about it, we do need to accept that that total volume, that contact time is reducing and that's going to affect your performance and your outcomes. 
And if we get to the point where we're going, okay, this is inevitable. It is going down. I can't do anything about it. My job is very uh, demanding on my time. I'm really career driven. I've just had uh, three kids. My family circumstances have really changed and that is going to move down. Then I think the next thing to do strategically is think about looking to change up your disciplines or your focus on how you're doing your climbing. An example of this would be if you said to me, right, Tom, from your 30s to your 40s, you're going to reduce 10 hours of climbing contact time across the week and you're going to have way more on your plate. And right now you are focused on big wall climbing, for example, which I kind of put in the category as being one of the the most time consuming uh, disciplines to go after then it may not be realistic in my 40s to continue to have a total focus on big wall climbing. It may be that point now to go, okay, this is the reality. This is the new reality. I'm going to go after something which is a little bit more demanding on the time. And then you'll still get the satisfaction and you'll still get the progress and you'll still get that positive feedback from doing the sport and enjoying it rather than hitting your head against the wall over something that's not realistic. So I think that's another important change that I personally have made and I've tried to encourage others to do when I've been working with them with this sort of blend of sports performance but also some lifestyle management. Another strategy or tip to use is splitting your sessions um, across the day or the week into much smaller blocks or even elements of foundational preparation that go into your climbing performance and making sure that the things which are most convenient and easiest to do then you can put those into tiny little blocks in places of the week where you just have 10 minutes spare here 20 minutes spare there and they could be at all parts of the day and that can even be down to and just to move away from physical performance stuff is you're working your project and you're wanting to spend 10 minutes each day doing some visualization work. Maybe don't put that visualization work into the part of the day where you could do some other form of training, which is requiring you to actually be on a fingerboard or to be down at the gym. Do it when you're waking up in the morning and still dozing or when you're having a cup of tea at the, the end of the day and just put it in there for convenience. And I think a good way to tackle this is to actually Go through an exercise where you rank your week in terms of all the factors that you want to build into your climbing and then put the highest ranking things into your diary first. So as I said before, always, always for me is the strength work that has to go in, especially the strength work on a climbing wall. So that goes at the top of my ranking. It has to be planned every week as the first thing that goes into the diary. Because realistically, I know the other stuff will start to fill in afterwards and they're much, much higher convenience. So I can still get to 10 p.m. on a Thursday and go, oh, I haven't done my visualization or, oh, I haven't done that rehab exercise that I was going to do for my elbow injury, for example. And I can just kind of place it around different parts of the week and still get it done. And then it doesn't impact everything else, but you're still moving forward as a climber. Next section or main section is recovery. Now, my time to recover from sessions is most definitely longer now that I'm in my 40s. I would say as a ballpark, it feels like it's been different for something like five years on a 
five years or so for me. I think everyone is very, very different. And this is a highly individualized thing. But whether it's me and talking about my specific situation or others that uh, are training and aging, this is a common consistent factor that time to recover from sessions will increase with time. So what do we do about it? Well, first of all, we accept it and know that this is a thing that's going on rather than ignoring it and just continuing as you are now. And I reduced the number of double days that I have. So effectively, I'm actually getting more recovery across the week because I'm doing less in the week, but I'm also increasing the frequency of that recovery. So that's sort of hitting it from two different angles. I think that's um, really important. I just don't really do that many double days anymore. Um, and I know they don't work because I dig myself a hole every time I do a number of them. Um, so that's that's kind of important. Also, I don't go too deep into sessions now. And what I mean by that is you know where you are redlining and you've gone to the total maximum kind of for the last half an hour of that session and you're thinking whoa, that's gonna, that was a big session and that's going to take some time to recover from and your performance has really reduced down to the session. You're just exhausted. I don't do that half as much anymore. I'm a little more in the stay slightly fresher but worked really hard camp so that I can have better recovery or less recovery overall and then still move forward as an athlete. I also now pay it more attention to nutrition, sleep, and I'm going to couple with this also alcohol, only because for the broader population, I think it's something to pay attention to. I myself don't drink at all. I haven't for years and years. So I can't say that that's a particular factor for me, but it is one that will impact your recovery and one to pay attention to as you move into your 40s and beyond. The sleep and eat factors, I'm not going to overemphasize them in saying, oh, wow, if you just sort out your eating and just sort out your sleeping, you'll recover like a 20-year-old. This is likely not the case. I'm more trying to get it across that it's something to pay a bit more attention to now and not be too blasé about and think, ah, oh, I'm totally motivated. It's fine. I can get through this and it's going to have a no effect because I'm just psyched. I think the reality here is that you stop being able to overcome some of these things through motivation and dedication as you age. And for me, that's definitely the case. I'm sure many people out there will see that I'm a very motivated climber, but I can't ignore those so much now. So that's how it is. I also have changed the amount of projecting and climbing that I've done on climbing trips and I really recommend this to the athletes and climbers that I work with on this same basis. It's unrealistic a lot of the time unless you're, you have a very, very high work capacity to do the types of trips where you turned up, you did two climbing days on, one day off, two days on, one day off, all the way through the trip and have great performance. I just never do this anymore. I used to and it was great and I loved it. But now I'm a one day on, one day off, one day on, one day off. Sometimes I'll do two days on, but then I'll often have two days off. And this just means that when you plan your trips, you have to think a little bit about how you're managing your rest days and what activities you're going to do. 
having a conversation with the other people on the trip and going, hey, this is how I work. Uh, are you similar? How can I plan around this? Rather than getting sucked up with the group psych and going, oh my goodness, everyone's three days in here. I should just go to the crag anyway because everyone else is. I think it's important to be a bit more strategic about this and you'll get better results out of it ultimately and also reduce injury risk. That's another important part of this because any climbing day is a load on your body and you stack two of them, too many of them together without any rest, then you increase that risk. The other thing that I would probably put in the recovery section is knowing that when you add or I add new stimulus to my climbing, so a new session or a new methodology to training, I have to take a more conservative approach with how much I do at the time when I introduce that into my training. So before I might have said, right, new fingerboard protocol, for example, and I'll just go kind of all in straight away. I'll look up the sets, the reps, the intensities, where I want to go with the climbing and then start doing it two, three days a week, for example. Now I will have a much, much slower ramp because ultimately I've learned the results are much better by having that. So a new stimulus may only be introduced to my training or climbing maybe even once a week for the first few weeks just to establish a pattern that my body understands what's coming. I get to see the adaptation to that and see my response, see how much recovery I need from it. And then into that second mesocycle, that second month, then I'll start to really load up. So that's another important thing that I think has really good results. I kind of touched on within the recovery bit, the length of the sessions. And I specifically mentioned this thing about the depth of the sessions. So how deep you go into the sessions, really try and stay away from those exhaustive sessions but my caveat on that would be that it's still for me personally and for others will work when you have planned double rest days I think it is okay to go into some of those more exhaustive sessions when you have it already planned in that you're getting those bigger blocks of rest I don't really want to leave people thinking ah I can never do an exhaustive session again these are too risky this is you know, this is a no-go zone. This is such a shame. I'm 42 years old and I can't do exhaustive sessions anymore. That's not the case. It's just the planning and understanding what surrounds those harder, deeper sessions and have you got adequate recovery for those. I think the split session across the day rather than big, long sessions is another useful tool. So I might do a short fingerboarding session in the morning or strength and conditioning in the morning and then do a endurance, power endurance, bouldering, whatever it might be in the afternoon. And I'm very much a multiple splitter all the way across the week of my training or climbing. And I've seen much better results from doing this. You can eat more between them. You can rest more between them. You get a better sense of how your body's feeling. I think all of us have a an effect that we feel that when you get quite deep into a session and you've got all the endorphins rushing around and you're somewhat numbed out, I guess, you can mask some of the minor tweaks and niggles that you may well be feeling. And that's a little bit of a danger. Whereas when you start splitting out sessions, you always come into all your your methods 
and your exercise is a little fresher so you can kind of feel your body a little bit better. I think that's nicer for self-awareness. And the other bit with the exhaustion and going really deep in sessions is I tend to now only do this when it mimics what I'm doing in my goal or my project. So for example, if I have a very long sport route or trad route, which means that I'm going to be going very hard in that, you know, in a successful red point, and it's going to be quite a long time on the rock, then I will mimic that more accurately or more aggressively within my training because it makes sense. But I won't do it so much if my goal is quite a short boulder project, even though I might have done that in my 20s and 30s, just a lot more conservative about the purpose and the intention behind why I would go to that uh, deep level of exhaustion or tiredness in any climbing session. Next section is on deload. Now, the key rule, I guess, to, or rule of thumb to take away from this is look at moving your training potentially to a two to one work rest cycle. So when we talk about training cycles, we have our load weeks in a mesocycle and we have our deload weeks. So our load cycles are the ones where we put more of the climbing training and that will feel like it's higher volume, higher intensity, higher frequency of training. And then our deload weeks are one where we reduce this significantly. That's the bit where you're recovering from all that good work, that good quality work that you're doing for your training to hopefully make improvements. So you come into the next mesocycle and you're moving forward season or mesocycle after mesocycle. A two to one work ratio, work rest ratio would mean that you would be working for two weeks hard and then one week relatively easier. Most of our clients and athletes that we work with at Lattice operate on around a three to one as our standard mesocycle. So to give you sort of a frame of reference of what we're moving from and to, it's moving from a three to one to a two to one. You can even just trial it for periods of the year just to see how you respond to it. I've used this a lot with clients over the years of moving around it, seeing how they feel about it. Sometimes it can even just be a psychological factor that can come back from it where people say, I just felt mentally fresher. And you know what? That was good enough for me. I had more satisfaction and enjoyment from my training and that's great. But really worthwhile playing around with that one. A note to add in with this whole deload factor is that I would like to get across that having high intensity work in your deload week is absolutely fine in most cases. When you're deloading, this does not mean stripping everything out of your climbing, sitting on the sofa and doing nothing. You can totally have a deload week that has one or two short high intensity fingerboarding sessions. If anything, I recommend it under the right circumstances. And it will often mitigate that factor of people coming back from a full rest week and going, oh, I felt like a sack of potatoes. Nothing was working. I felt really de-recruited. I felt awful. It took me three more sessions to get back into the training. That can really help prevent that. And ultimately, if you've reduced the load across that mesocycle, particularly if you do it via the volume aspect, so the duration of climbing you're doing or the frequency in the week, then you're going to be totally fine with dealing with that shorter high intensity work and your body will still respond positively to that. So I think that's an important thing to recognize in that deload week. 
And then the next factor or next sort of section is around stress and sleep. Now, the one, probably one of the biggest factors that I feel has changed and caught up with me as a climber is this part. I just can't ignore it anymore, no matter how motivated I am. And it's a factor which I've hit my head or hit my head against the brick wall for a few years. And it did work in my 30s for a while. But now I just simply cannot uh, ignore it. And it's a big factor. And I have to really respect that this will change both my training, but also my climbing when I'm trying to perform. And one of the most important parts of this factor for me has been accepting that it's a thing because I've always had very high levels of motivation. So I've thought that maybe that could just cover everything up on that front. But in reality, it doesn't. And your body kind of carries the score. So you'll pay for it somewhere down the line. And you'll either see yourself getting demotivated or you'll get injured or you'll stagnate or you'll get no positive response from all that hard work and training that you put in, which is kind of a waste of time. So aside from accepting it, then I think there's two things here is planning for your stress factors around your performance and training. So if you have a work conference coming up, think about how that's going to affect it. If you have a load of very hard project work um, at work that might be a month-long project and presentations and meetings and lots of organising, again, think about how this is going to impact your work. Um, there's all sorts of different parts that you can put into this stress cat category. And if you can have these planned in, then I think you can be more effective with how you still go forward with your climbing. And coupled with that, I find it very useful to try and find ways to just slowly, consistently improve, one, my sleep, and two, decrease my stress. And in my notes here in front of me, the bit that I've got written with a big underline underneath it is consistency. That is the bit that really counts here. Find ways to just chip away at lots of tiny factors if you can. I think that's the greater win in this case. It's often easy to see someone else around you that seems to have things so dialed and you hone in on one thing that they do and you go, ah, oh, I just want that. I'm going to sort, I'm going to set her some sort of alarm to go to sleep every night or I'm going to put fragrances next to my bed so my sleep is increased this amount of time because so-and-so over there does that and it works great. I'm not so much of a big believer in trying to deal with just one thing in a big way. I think in this stuff regarding allostatic loads, so that kind of life stress factors, it's better and more effective to consistently chip away at small things. And that's where I will encourage you as climbers out there and who we may potentially work with or we have worked with in the past. And then this is also what I do for myself. Last section is the dreaded injury. I've left it to last, maybe because I think it's been the hardest to deal with on both a physical and mental front. 
from a physical side of things is for sure it takes longer now to recover from injury pretty much any injury whatever it is and that's been I'm going to say the word disappointing because I think realistically I'm not totally over this yet I have been a professional athlete for a number of years and it's something that's just hard to to let it sink in and accept it in some ways um but it is a thing and it also means that if it takes longer and I wouldn't say that I necessarily have more injuries but the recovery takes longer is the impact is going to be greater on my performance in the long run because I've just got more time out from doing any training performing exercising etc my changes that I've made on this have been to warm up more to warm up more intelligently and to be a little bit more consistent with that all the time I've been very very inconsistent with warm-ups over the years and I've tried to make some significant changes with that over time I go less to exhaustion which we kind of tackled earlier on on this podcast definitely reduces for me the risk of injury I've often picked them up actually when I've been really tired at the end of the sessions and just going all in because I'm psyched and I just want to push one extra last bit I'm also a lot more careful now on very very cold temperature days I've picked up a couple of injuries now which have been to my mind very clear that it was the cold element that impacted it just freezing cold fingers and just pulling too hard too soon so I'm a lot more conservative on those kind of days and then also and I don't know whether people are going to cringe when they hear this or completely relate but actually follow the prescribed rehab that you're given for injuries when you do get the injuries I would say that I have been somewhat flaky on that and I've known how to rehab things but have gone ah it's fine I'll just do a bit of it and it'll probably work out and I'm motivated and it'll go away anyway it does to some extent but it takes longer and nowadays I am actually sticking pretty rigorously to how I rehab the classic one being my finger injury that I did in September October last year and I had it was a full rupture of the pulley and I had the fastest best recovery from a finger injury I've ever had um, in my life and I was so so strict and dedicated to what I did on that and really really followed the kind of the letter on it and I saw really good results out of it so I think this is a really important thing and then lastly is trying to develop some kind of mindset resilience around the injury setback because they are going to happen and trying to get back from them as you age in the climbing process feels harder and feels a bigger impact and for me I found it tempting at points to go well this is just my lot now oh this sucks maybe I should just not try as hard maybe I shouldn't take so much risk with my climbing maybe I shouldn't be trying to be a professional athlete maybe I could just take an easier path because doubts creep in over time because you see the changes in your body but I think all of us have to trust that actually it's just about a change 
in approach, a change in strategy and being patient with ourselves or patient with our bodies and that we totally can do it. It's just that things are changing now. And for me, that's been a really important part of the process. And I'm certainly not perfect at it at all, but I am better at it. And I have slightly less doubts in my mind now when the big setbacks happen. And I don't think as much, oh, yeah, okay, that's it. It's over. I should hang up the hard climbing shoes and maybe just go for moderate stuff. And that's something that I definitely kind of want to share with everyone else out there because I know that some other people potentially have felt that same thing um, with the, the injury and the setback factor. So there you go. That's my thoughts on training and performing in your over 40s category. As I said before, I'm 43, so I'm kind of early into that stage, but I hope you found my thoughts, experiences, reflections on that useful. These do reflect a lot of what I've seen in working with athletes and clients over the years as well. So I've tried to kind of keep it broad and not just giving you things which are weird about me, but I've not really seen anywhere else. And we hope that you are having a good time with your climbing training performance, wherever you are at the moment, and you're psyched and having uh, a good season. It's uh, right now kind of getting into perfect climbing season in the UK. Um, so yeah, we wish you the very best from wherever you are and tune in again soon.